invite you to turn to Psalm chapter 19. And as you're doing it, um, it's, uh, we just finished up. It's a psalm about the Word of God. And we just finished up a series, the women did, a Bible study called Seamless. We had over 70 women involved on a, I think it was in a morning and an afternoon every week here in the fall. Just wound down here a couple weeks back. And I got some texts from people just talking about how, how powerful that time was. And the seamless thing was a 30,000-foot view of the Bible and how from be- beginning to end it's this seamless book. Even though there's 66 books, it's a seamless theme of God and, and how he has been pursuing us and loving us and, uh, and pulling us towards him. And one woman texted and just said, I knew the Bible, but this went a lot deeper, exclamation point, loving it. Another woman texted, this past session of the women's study was absolutely fantastic and came at a perfect time. I've loved walking through the Bible during the seamless study with a beautiful group of ladies. The study was great. The icing on the cake was having an amazing leader, Cindy Mast, who made me think, laugh, and encouraged me to keep diving deeper. Um, Just some of the things that have happened just this past fall. Um, There's another story, uh, another Bible story that I want to tell you, and this is just kind of crazy. Like, this has happened here for our church, so I, I can't I can't name, because we're posting this online, I can't name the people involved. You'll see them up on the screen. I can't name the country involved, but uh, um, maybe you'll put it together. But um, so anyway, there's this person at our church who's uh, at college and um, has a roommate. And the roommate has a condition where the physician said uh, you will not live probably to your 18th birthday. And, and it was serious enough. I mean, like the prediction wasn't without merit because they had a sibling who had died at a very early age with the same condition. And so there was real fear and has been real fear for this person all through um, their life. And they got to college, and they weren't 18 yet. They were 17. And so they have spent the fall counting down the last couple months, the last couple weeks, and the last couple days wondering if they would actually live to see uh, their 18th birthday. And what was really cool is the father surprised this roommate and flew in from their home country and totally surprised them, and then took all the friends and sweet mates out for dinner. It was a great time, a great party. And, um, and then a couple days later, this is just two weeks ago, a couple days later, uh, the roommate received a phone call um, from a family member saying, uh, your dad has been arrested, he's in jail. Um, he tried to bring six Bibles into the country. So he's, he's now in jail. Two days after that, gets a phone call from the youngest sibling who's maybe in sixth, seventh grade, something like that. Mom has been arrested. And then a couple of days later, mom is home. Dad is still arrested. For six of these. Six of them. How 
how is it that something this small would make a nation that scared? We were talking about a nation that could wipe out other nations, a nation that would have no problem oppressing, arresting, imprisoning, torturing, killing, destroying families, just so nobody ever sees one of these. kind of ironic. It has all the power in the world and it's scared, it's scared of the power of this that it doesn't even believe in. About four months ago, I came across this psalm. I've read psalms before. I've read them all. And you ever have that experience where you read something and then you go back and you read it and you're like, oh, it's like I never read that before. Like, I never saw that. And, and that's what happened to me about five months ago. I was reading Psalm 19 and just happened to come across verses 7 through 11. Actually, Psalm 19, the first verses, is a famous, um, uh, actually, I'm, I'm trying to think, it's uh, Beethoven, I think, or uh, Mozart made a, made a famous song about it. Um, and uh, Han- yeah, it's in Handel's Messiah, I think, too. It's just all over. It's a famous one. But I, it, I've always stopped at like verse 6. Um, I never went to verse 7. And verse 7 says this, through 11, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned in keeping them. There is great reward. The law of the Lord is the theme of these. It's a statement about a different synonym of the law and then the impact of it. There's five different ways it's described. The law of the Lord, if you were a Jew during this time, you immediately thought of the first five books of the, what we would call the Old Testament now. They called it the Torah, the first five books. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. So when they see this, they're thinking the law of the Lord, those five books. Now, I think we can, in good faith and according to the whole, whole all of Scripture, include all of the Bible at this point. Um, if, especially if you read over and you see Paul's letter to Timothy and Peter and what they wrote, they said all Scripture is inspired by God, right? All of it, and they pull all of that in. And I don't think it's, it's, it's out of line to pull those pieces in. But the, the psalmist here is, is writing a song about the word of God, the law of God, and uses different words for it, the testimony, the precepts, the commandment, the rules, all of them about God's word to us. And he says this, and, you know, when I came across this, verse 7, it was probably back, I think, May or June, something like that, and I read that, and I was like, 
Oh, that is really good. And, and, and read it like this, like the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. And I'm like, I just sat there. I was like, okay. My soul kind of felt flatlined. I was pretty fried. Like not much life going on here. Kind of like a beep, beep, you know, tired. I said, God, would you just revive my soul? And I just kept coming back to that verse for like a month. And then I read the next one. I'm like, ooh, I like that one too. And so I just want to talk about these verses and what they mean. Um, Why would he write a song about God's word? So the law of the Lord is perfect. It doesn't have flaws. There's no error in its message. It's, It's perfect. Which is interesting because you see how much the Bible is under assault in this world and they would say this Bible is flawed and this Bible has all kinds of errors. The the message of God, the original message is inerrant. It's perfect. It doesn't need to be changed. It can't be changed. It's perfect. It revives the soul. And it's interesting, it says revives, because in this world there's, there's this promise that says, no, you can find it other places. And, and you can find something that will give you life, something that will restore your soul. But it's empty. It's imperfect. It never does what it promises. It can never deliver that. But the word of God, it literally revives the soul. It brings life, strength. It says this, that the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The, the word simple is, is interesting. Um, the word, if you go back and you look in the Hebrew, it is someone that culture would look at and say, why would you ever go to them for anything? Someone who is simple. That culture would say, oh, they, there's no way they could get through life. There's no way they could understand life. And it would say, no, they become the ones who are wise. I heard someone who was talking about this. The word is, when they talk about making wise the simple, I've heard a scholar talk about the idea that this was actually someone like who had Down syndrome. Now we all sit up, right? Because that's like, wow, that's a, what are you saying? The word of God, the testimony of the Lord is sure, and it makes the simple wise. And how many times have you been in a room with someone who has a disability like that and you sit back and you go, who's looking at life, right? I don't know if you've ever read a book. Um, Henry Nouwen, he was a professor, I don't know how many doctorates, professor of theology at Princeton, ends up leaving everything, all his accolades and all this stuff, to go to a community that ministers to people who have mental disabilities. And he ends up writing a book about this. And he ends up writing a book about the wisdom of the simple. 
And I wonder if we're just running around so much that we don't take the time to sit back and go, guys, this thing is sure. There's so much that's not sure, but this is sure. And it makes the simple wise. Like, we don't have to really be that smart. We just don't. We don't have to be that put together. We can just be ourselves. Now, maybe you're really sophisticated and well put together, and you keep, you keep doing you. But for me, this is such an invitation to not have to be something. I can just be me and go, oh, Jesus, give me some wisdom. I don't know if that's you. But it says it's sure. The testimony of the Lord is sure. Psalmist goes on and says, the precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The precepts of the Lord are right. So when you're in the middle of something and you're trying to figure out what's right and what's wrong, and you ever have these moments where you're wrestling through things and you choose the precepts of God by faith, you don't know how it's going to work out, but you choose it by faith because you know it's the right thing to do. And then somewhere down the road, maybe that day, maybe a month, maybe a year later, all of a sudden it comes together and you realize it was right. And you have that aha moment like, oh, that's, that's too good. That's money, right? Like it works, it works, it rejoices, right? We, we have those moments where we just sit back and we go, that, that joy, that joy that comes. So Eric gets up here with an award, and, and Eric's thoughts, the first thoughts as he's driving back are, we're getting this award because a church prayed. We're getting a, a reward here because a church has partnered and has brought life to our school and because God is in this. This is the principle of the school getting up here to say thanks. I don't know if you realize it. The precepts of the Lord are right. They rejoice the heart. Why? Because it's right. It works. I mean, we're out of what? How many schools are in Ohio? We're one of 10 in this community. Like, that's just Amazing. It rejoices the heart. There's just this buzz that comes when we choose to say yes to his precepts. There is. It just never gets old. It's like it really works. He goes on, he says, the commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The commandments of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Um, So he's using vision, and he's using pure. So let's follow the metaphor. So whatever is impure clouds, darkens, pollutes vision. So if you lived, um, we don't really do this much here because we don't live with mountains and things like this, but uh, in Colorado or Montana, sometimes a newscaster would say, hey, visibility, you can see this far 
right? Because you get up a mountain, you can see really far. Clear days, you can see a long ways. Like if you live in California, you can see like, you know, visibility is like two feet. Um, smog, right? Uh, back in the day, I, I, yeah. Anybody remember California, like the smog alerts? Like don't go outside. It's so sad. Um, so it was great in Kansas because it all just blew away. Um, never had it in Kansas. But then, you know, whatever. Sorry, I'm way off notes. Uh, anyway, we have engineers here who actually work like for Babcox and Wilcox and, um, and other companies where they build power plants. And what's crazy is EPA has gotten so significant that the air that comes into these power plants now for generation comes out cleaner on the other side. And they've instituted, the, you know, the word is the scrubber systems or whatever, right? Is that kind of the, that's what, yeah, one of it. So, yeah, sorry for all you engineers that had just ruined the technological terms or whatever. But um, the air goes in this way and it comes out cleaner. The power plants that they're making now. See, and it's interesting, they, they've instituted a system that purifies it, which makes it clearer to see. The Word of God is like a scrubbing system. It cleans our eyes spiritually so that we can see. Jesus was saying this a lot. He said, all this this generation, they got eyes, but they can't see. They got ears, but they can't hear. And it's the whole reality that we can see. We have spiritual eyes. We have physical eyes. But if something is darkening them, if something is polluting it, we won't be able to see clearly. But the word of God cleans us. And so what starts to happen is the closer you get to this, the clearer you see things. It's really kind of weird. It starts to happen. You walk down the street and you start to spiritually see what's going on. And you look at that person and you go, I don't know how I'm able to see this, but something is happening to this person. Like something not good. Oh, I don't know why I can see this with this person. I don't know why I can discern this about this event right now. But I'm telling you, don't ask me to explain it. But something's off. Or on the flip side, I can see spiritually there is a blessing here. There is light here. Talk to the team that went to Senegal and and we did this prayer walk and and you could sense darkness as we prayed through that. Talk to some of the ministries here that we partner with, APS, and go up there to Cleveland uh, with Paul Honeycutt and, and you get into inner city with Envision and you can get with the garage. You can see spiritual things. The word of God is pure. The commandments are pure. Another statement, which is interesting because it deviates from this theme of the word of God, and it says the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. Isn't that interesting? Like, in the middle of all this, the fear of the Lord is put in there. There's six different phrases. This one doesn't fit. It's not like the other ones. But the fear of the Lord, it kind of makes sense because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. The fear of the Lord is pure. In fact, the word is in the Hebrew is actually the word they use for ceremonial cleaning, right? Or ceremonial, ceremonially clean. So the fear of the Lord 
what it does is it literally cleans us. Why? Because when you get in the presence of a holy God and you see who he is versus us, and and if we have that true response, it cleanses us. Oh, Lord, you know, it's that whole thing. I have unclean hands. I have unclean eyes. There's a psalm that says, who could ascend to the hill of the Lord? Who can come into the presence of the Lord? Only those with a clean heart. Only those with clean hands. The fear of the Lord does that. And it's interesting because it says it endures forever, meaning we will never stop that understanding and that realization of who God is as this holy God. We'll never stop that. We will always have that right kind of fear of who he is. The last one is the rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. In a world that, you know, our culture specifically is trying to destroy this word, to say it's not true. England just in a court determined that this book is, is filled with hate speech. It's a court decision that has huge ramifications. The word of the Lord is true. What do you do with that? This culture says nothing is, you know, how do you know truth? No one can know truth. You can't claim absolute truth, right? So relativism is what we are, you know, what our culture is doing, this grand experiment about this. So, so everything is relative. That, that was the message. Everything was relative. And, and so now we have a culture where it's not only relative, when you start to say there is no absolute truth and you move towards this idea that everything is relative, it doesn't stop there. It can't stop there because once you pull the moorings out, you start to drift and and it leads to nihilism. Nihilism is the idea, sorry, this is like a big word. You guys can can go to your school and say, hey, I learned a word nihilist. You're so nihilistic. No, don't tell somebody that. Um, Nihilistic means Relativism says we can't know that there's truth. Nihilism says there is no meaning at all. Everything is relative to nihilism, meaning nothing has meaning, which leads towards death. It's the progression, natural progression. You, start, you say absolute truth, and you start saying no, relative. It's all relative. Make it up, and then it gets to this point, well, there's nothing meaningful at all. Why even live? And you follow that progression on down. And there's a professor at a university here where they were commenting, and it were asked, hey, what did you think about this violence and, uh, towards this young woman in a different country? Um, like really bad violence. Um, She's in the hospital. It's the worst kind you can imagine. And the professor said, well, I don't know the culture, so I can't really say whether that was right or wrong. That's what happens when you pull out truth and you say it's relative, but then you say, well, actually, no, it doesn't even have meaning. And I'm not using the word just because of mixed audience and little ears of what happened to that woman. The rules of the Lord are true 
righteous altogether. We, we could think we found a different way. We can think we can go down a path, but it's, if it's not in line with God's word, his rules, it will lead to death. It will lead to what's false. The psalmist sums it up in verse 10 and 11. He says, More to be desired are they, the commandments of God, than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. More to be desired than gold and great food. We went out to eat uh, this past week and on a Friday night went to a really, really nice restaurant and had some great food and it was amazing food. And then somebody offered to pay for it, which we didn't know about, and that was really, really good food at that point, right? <laughs> oh, so good. More to be desired than food. More to be desired than gold. More to be desired than freedom. Six books. What would, you, what would you give to get a book like this? Man, I got like six of these, seven of these. Our house has, I don't know how many. Like we all have them, which is, there's no guilt in that. There's no shame in that. The, the, the piece that's convicting is we have so many that we just take it for granted and we don't really take advantage of what we have. Seeing 70 women gather together to study this once a week, knowing that we have people in community groups studying this, know we've got TTP, know that we have other avenues, our students going through this, this that goes to the heart of this. Knowing so many of you fight to have five minutes, maybe 10 minutes a day. Maybe you listen to it on an app as you're going into work. More to be desired than gold. Moreover, by them your servant is warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. It's a double-sided statement. On one side, the Scripture is warning us. It's protecting us from what could destroy us. And on the other side, if in keeping it, it brings, it says, a great reward. And so what we want to do here in these next few moments is just read the Word. So I'm going to have a mic, and um, Mike, can you take a mic? Yeah, you can walk down that aisle. I'll walk down this aisle. And, and what I want to invite you to do is to read a verse. Read a couple verses. Please don't read like more than four or five. At that point, you've become a scripture hog, and, and we don't want scripture hogs here. That's just, <laughs> no, just, it give, gives room for other people to read. And what I want you to think is this. Um, 
I want you to imagine this is God speaking to you right now. As you hear these verses read, and you're going to hear a verse, and it's going to hit you, Lord willing, pray through that. Check out. You don't have to listen to the rest of them if you don't want to. Just check out. Just hold on to that verse and sit there because it probably is God. Um, and, and if you don't get a verse, you can just sit there and say, God, I thank you for your word. You can still thank him. You can still praise him. But maybe that happens here this time. So we'll just bring you a mic and you can... Yeah, these are turned on. If you have a Bible verse, I'll just bring you... I'll bring it over to you. You don't have to get up. Oh, you're coming up front. Oh, oh you're not going to read? Oh, Steve. Steve, you're killing me. <laughs> I could do that. Steve's a great sport. And he's, he's a great sport. Do I stand? No. Okay. Well, I want to do it right. Okay. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought for it does not cease to bear fruit. I pray that he may grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power in your inner being through his spirit, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you, being rooted and firmly established in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and width, height and depth of God's love, and to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. For the Lord is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, Blessed is the man that trusts in thee. Therefore, since we were surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us th throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race set before us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith who for the joy set before us endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit 
teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. I come to your altar, O Lord, singing a song of thanksgiving, telling of all your wonders. I love your sanctuary, Lord, the place where your glorious presence dwells. For I know my plans for you, declares the Lord, plans, plans to prosper and not to harm, plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. The Lord God is my strength, my personal bravery, and my invincible army. He makes my feet like hinds feet, and makes me to walk, not stand still and tear, but to walk, and to make my spiritual progress upon my high places of trouble, suffering, or responsibility. Call to me, and I will answer you, and tell you great and unsearchable things you do not know. If my people who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, and I and turn from their wicked ways, then I hear down from heaven and will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. I will repay you for the years the locusts have eaten. If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. When my anxieties multiply, your comforting calms me down. I lift my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Sing to the Lord, you saints of his. Praise his holy name, for his anger lasts only a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. Weeping may remain for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. Fear not, for I am with you. <clears throat> Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. 
This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. Psalm 19, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and keeping them there is great reward. <laughs> 